Look at Ephesians. It says in chapter 4, verse 11, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is bringing us a a time where we're going to talk about, in a sense, not just talk about, but have a, a time about membership as we're receiving today some new members into our uh, into our fellowship, it's one of those things that in the Christian Mission Alliance membership is not something that we you know we push and you got to be a member. Uh, but as well, it's not something that we just treat lightly. Like, hey, you showed up twice, you're a member. Uh, you know, we got four thousand on our roll. It's it's not that kind of thing. It is something that we take serious. It's something that each of these families that went through classes together, there are requirements as it deals with this, um, as well as not only uh, that, but responsibilities. There's a, a commitment that we're making. And uh, along with it, obviously, there are benefits and, and privileges uh, as far as voting, being an officer, but... In many ways, many people find that membership is really, in what happens today, more of a public commitment expressing what is already privately felt in their hearts and minds. It's not like suddenly today they become a part of Oil City Community Alliance because they've already been a part of Oil City Community Alliance. Um, in fact, they've been apart and waiting a while for us to do this. It's been, it's, I don't know how long it's been. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Uh, but they've been working through it for quite a while uh, and waiting. And then this happened and then this and then COVID. And so uh, because as we, what our tradition and even within our bylaws, we have do this during this time. So uh, this is great that we have this opportunity. It's great that there's so many of you that are here today to be able to, uh, as the family of God, to participate and to support them as they are as they're making this decision in this moment. And so, uh, what I'm going to do is just uh, ask the uh, two couples to come up. If you would go ahead and come up on one stand on, maybe you guys since you're over here, you can stand over here. <clears throat> I'm going to just introduce to you. Uh, first of all, the two different couples. First of all, this is uh, Lee and Melissa Swoger. And there's Dale and Kyle and Jude. Right, guys? Woo! Huh. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on over the air. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to skip the Alaman left, just in case. Uh, so... And over here, and, and let me just say, we'll go back to the, the Swogers. Um, uh, it's, you, and they can say how long and give each of the couples a chance to, uh, to talk a little bit. But uh, it's just been great having them with us, being a part of us. Uh, their desire to, to grow in the Lord, their desire to, uh, to serve the Lord, their desire to connect not only with Him but with others in so many different ways has been great uh, and to see just the both their heart for the the lost and the hurting that both of them have and it's it's exciting that they're a part of our group here and and over here are brian and julie regal and we have and there is emily Braden, landon ian and my favorite name timothy <laughs> see you know why that's my favorite name don't you because that's my name so, and Timothy. So we're we're so grateful to have these guys with us. Um, 
obviously uh, in uh, been involved in a number of different ways with different things, a part of different services and serving in different ways. Uh, and, and even most of all, you know, one of the things that stands out for me is just how encouraging and supportive you guys have been. So, uh, and, and, and everything that's going on. So, we're excited uh, for you who have a, a heart for God and, I know, a heart for missions. And, and part of who we are, Christian Missionary Alliance. And it's exciting that you guys are being a part of us and the rich experiences that you bring with you. So, uh, one of the questions, and what we have is on each side of you, there is a mic that will be live. And... Uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and start with you guys, since I started with them on that end, and just kind of looking for, you know, saying, so what is it that, that got you coming here? What keeps you coming? Why become a member kind of thing? However you want to answer that question. <clears throat> he gave me the mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, we actually came here very wounded from our previous church. We'd been very, very involved, and we were very hurt and left there, uh, the the bloody broken broken on the field. Um, And we came and we sat for probably the first time in our lives being involved with church. We have a preacher's kid and a missionary kid, and we sat and attended. And there was actually a brochure that came around not long after we started that asked, what kinds of things had you been involved with in the past? And on the back, what would you like to be involved with now? <laughs> and we checked all kinds of stuff on the front and then flipped it over and said, nope, we're just going to sit. Um, so what prompted us to get involved? What prompted us to become members? Um, the church was so very welcoming, uh, incredibly welcoming, the warmth. And we were very impressed with the fact that when we started, there wasn't even a pastor There were uh, families who came together. There was elders who came together and led a church with vision. And there wasn't even a leader. Of course there was. God was. And that was very evident from the the beginning. Um, We were prompted to do the membership class. I think the sermon series had to do with Legos at that point. Um, (laughs) Our boys would, you know, be thrilled. Um, Some of the older ones are kind of falling off. But... You gave me the mic. (laughs) Okay, so he talked about building blocks and Legos, and they fit together, and everyone has a purpose, and we actually both left the sermon that day, the service, going home, going, but we're broken. We're broken blocks. And it struck me and him separately that broken blocks still fit together and still have a purpose. And we started this process not knowing we were going to be entering in one of the hardest years of our life. Um, We would hit pretty, pretty low, struggles with uh, family members, struggles with uh, household issues, struggles with a kid wandering away, um, suicide into our life, suicide attempts and depression and anxiety. Um, I'm a counselor who sees a counselor. (laughs) Um, And we just knew God was here. This church family has supported us tremendously from prayers, from hugs, from meals, um, you know, those are typical for funeral times. or for, And this was a time period where I had to work and couldn't function in my mom role. And you guys stepped up and gave us meals for I don't even know how many weeks. Um, we are blessed to be part of this church. We are thrilled and here. Everything she just said. <laughs> okay. <It's not> <laughs> You have to ask him more. He does usually have something to say. She told me to be quiet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's start over here with you guys. Same kind of question. You better repeat the question. So I can <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is it that brought you here, attracted you? What keeps you coming? You know, why are you becoming members? All right, so uh, it's it's been about a two-year journey. Uh, I thought this would be easier. Uh, so anyway, we uh, we start. I started questioning uh, some things at our old church, and and uh, got started working a lot in um, just three areas: Bible reading, started reading a different version of the Bible, started listening to different different messages on the radio, and started listening to Christian music. 
And so in that year transition, it was evident that we needed to go somewhere else by the end of that year. But then also in that time frame, um, our children were attending CLA. And so um, a move also emerged uh, by the end of that year um, that we were going to be moving. So it was kind of twofold. So um, we didn't move until a year ago, June, but we started coming here Christmas Eve service um, the, the year a year and a half ago. So uh, anyhow, God was working to, to reveal some things that were missing in the old church, and, and it, it really suited me. I, I don't want to just blame the church. I, I was uh, just being a religious, going through the motions, and so God was calling me out of that and, and, and speaking to me. So anyhow, the, the coming, um, looking for the church happened, you know, during that time. And, and so first service, you know, Pastor hit me over to have a two-by-four. It's Christmas Eve. I'm thinking this is going to be, you know, gentle, nice and easy. It's like traditions, overboard, like that's me. And so anyway, I thought, well, if he's, if he's bringing it on Christmas Eve, I, I'm going to need this. So we started attending, making the drive. Uh, six months later, we moved. And um, so a year later, we're here and uh, looking to join because uh, basically um, I felt that um, I wanted – what was missing was the Holy Spirit's working and power and limiting it in the old church, and I wanted to be able to um, tap into this power that uh, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know about. Keep your mind. Oh, sorry. I, 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 I thought you were trying to steal it. <laughs> um, no, I didn't take it away from Julie, so I'm not going to. So uh, basically... Through that year, two-year period, year period, I was I was looking for a church that um, that that was more than what we were experiencing, and that it had a heart for people, and that that was um, well. I had visited some other churches too, and, and so that was interesting. But uh, I, I felt the power of the Holy Spirit in churches that we would have never ever thought of attending or visiting, and, and so I realized that my box was very small. And God did not fit into it, and I wanted to see what uh, what He had in store, and so we we ended up here. Good. I think that um, what what I found in Scripture this morning um, will help to sum up um, <laughs> what we've all been trying to say. But um, I, I was listening to a song this morning, and um, it led me to Ecclesiastes three, and um, I'm going to just read a few verses, and some of them are part of the verse. But um, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time from refraining from embracing. Thank you, COVID. A time to seek and time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. And um, like the Regals and us, um, we both struggled with um, coming from churches that um, we have been hurt. And um, I think that there's um, several parts of this scripture that, um, you know, that there were, God worked and put us where he needed us to be, especially at the Swokers at I mean, I'm sure it's the same for the Regals, but for the Swivers, we were where we needed to be at the time that we needed to be there, but it became very evident to us that what some of the things that were planted needed to be plucked up, and um, some of the things that we kept so religiously needed to be um, taken away. And um, I think that um, the Lord has um, just given us the help that we needed here, um, you know, a time to weep and a time to laugh. We've um, done that here. Um, and a time to mourn and a time to dance. Um, we've done that ourselves, but also through other family members in um, the congregation. And um, a time to cast away stones and a time to build them up. And I love that image um, in the New Te- or the Old Testament, rather, where they would gather up those stones. And it was a monument of what had happened and in order to remember um, as they move forward. And, and I just, um, I think that we, we know what we 
experienced in the past, and we've, we have those stones there so that we can look back and say, that was where we started, and that's where God needed us to be and wanted us to be, but now it's time to move forward. So um, we're very thankful to be here and um, become members. Thank you. All right. So to you, Christian friends, and I will I will step out of here probably outside of a camera, freaking those guys up there. But here we go. Christian friends, we rejoice in this expression of your desire to unite yourselves with us in this relationship. Because you have witnessed a good confession of faith, you're already one with the redeemed people of all generations. By uniting with this church, you enjoy all its sacred privileges and bear its responsibilities. It is your pledge and obligation to uphold its testimony before everyone needing its message, to pray for its success, and to faithfully give for its support, to regularly attend its services and thus strengthen its ministry by your ministry in love and labor and sacrifice to prosper its work and encourage its leaders and bring daily growth and enrichment to your own souls. Always walk worthy of the name of Christ and his church, avoiding every kind of evil. Love as brothers and sisters and hold those who are over you in the Lord in the highest regard and love because of their work. If you make this pledge, say, we do. And now to us, the church family, congregation, reminding ourselves that together we're on a mission of pursuing Jesus Christ, of building his kingdom and proclaiming freedom, healing, and life. And together, as we uh, have this opportunity, I speak to you, to the congregation. Beloved, in receiving these Christian brothers and sisters into our fellowship, we enter into a solemn covenant and obligation, just as they are, we are. Let them never find occasion to be ashamed of any of us or disappointed by our lives or testimony. May they ever find this house of God a place of spiritual enrichment, encouragement, and refuge. We should always be ready to receive them as brothers and sisters to bear their burdens in the love of Christ and to share with them the deepest needs of life. All that the word of God has led them to expect to find among the redeemed should be found here. We shall, by the grace of God, in receiving them into our fellowship, pledge to them in like manner that we've required them to pledge to us all that is consistent with a godly life. May our communion be sweet. May our joy be full. If you are in agreement with this, would you stand with them, symbolically saying, we will stand with you in this time as we pray together. Lord, we thank you for both the Regals and the Swogers. We thank you for their life and love for you, their desire to serve you in all ways. Father, we pray that your blessing would rest upon them and each of their needs, that you would, would bless them in their, the physical, to their very physical needs, to the joy and the peace that you bring, and as well bless them with relationships, relationships even within this body that have meaning, that encourages one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Ultimately, Lord, bless them spiritually in a way that they would continue to grow and continue to become more and more like you, Jesus, in every way, complete in you, in a way that is not just for themselves, but passes it on. We just ask your blessing upon them, and we, uh, as a church, commit one to another, recognizing that we are all part of the body and that you have placed each piece uh, Together, much like we talked about the Legos, you placed each piece together. And we thank you for these pieces to what you want to do in and through us for your glory and your honor. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, 
Usually it's the uh, right hand of fellowship, but we're avoiding those kind of things right now. So, uh, but uh, those are certificates, and we just want to say thank you, and uh, we're looking forward to, you've all, we've already experienced life together, but continuing many more years together. So thank you. Let's give them a hand. Okay. If you would turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. So we continue on kind of with the story and where we were at. From last week. And let's begin... Uh, in verse 18, and if, if you were not with us, this is a story of David coming back. Uh, the first part of chapter 20 for David get a, had kind of left uh, in hiding, so to speak, but came back to try to settle things. Saul, was he felt was angry, wanted to kill him. Of course, Jonathan, his son, was like, no, 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 that's not so. And, you know, I'll prove it to you. And, you know, it's, it's uh, my dad's cool. Uh, and uh, it doesn't say that actual word in there. But uh, that it's, you know, here's what's happening. And so they're, they're coming up with this plan, so to speak, to try to figure out what exactly is going on. And so we're going to join that in uh, verse 18. Then Jonathan in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is a new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, towards evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone of Azel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, go find the arrows. If I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Bring them here. Then come because surely as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is a witness between you and me. And so David hid in the field, and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan and Abner and sat, sat next to Saul. But David's place was empty. Now Saul said nothing that day, for he thought something must have happened to David to make him unceremonial or make him ceremonially unclean, and surely he is unclean. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again, and Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town, and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That is why he has not come to this table. Saul's anger flared up at the Jonathan, and he said to him, You are a son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death. What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. So Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. And on that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. And in the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David. And he had a small boy with him. And he said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place when Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, Isn't the arrow beyond you? And then he shouted, Hurry! Go quickly! Don't stop! The boy picked up the arrow and returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all what only Jonathan and David knew. And Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, Go, carry them back to town. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would move and work in us this day. That we would hear your voice. Through your word. And with you, Holy Spirit, bringing it to our hearts this day and to our minds. Help us not to just push it off, to 
see it and walk away like the man who sees his face in the mirror and doesn't do anything about it. But may we do something about what we see today. May we be changed. A decision to be different as we walk out of here than when we walked in. Help me to speak your words. Go beyond though anything I could say. Make it personal this day. Move us, move in us as only you can do. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, we've been looking at the good, the bad, and the ugly side of anger. Something that we're seeing on a daily basis in this age of outrage that just seems to be spreading a culture of anger all around us about anything. Not just about, you know, there's main things here, but it seems like it's touching every area of life. It's coming out and they're, they're, they're noticing things that are happening that they just never had seen to such extent and saying, well, it's this whole thing that's going on. And so we need to look at that question as we finish up today. Can you be good and angry? Now somebody says, oh yeah, I'm good and angry. (laughs) Yeah, there's lots of times I'm good and angry. No, no, I'm not saying that. What I'm asking is in a sense, can you be good and angry? Oh, maybe. that's, That's on me, guys. I got it. You're fine. Can you be good? And let's just think of it like and angry, both. Is it possible? Now, for some people say that's not possible. You can't be. In fact, how many of you grew up and and even maybe you heard for Christians, but you were told uh, that it's wrong to be angry and that even a sin to be angry. Now, there's a number that have that. And and so. We have that way of looking at it. Then we have a, a, a worldly kind of thinking that will tell you, listen, don't hold your anger back. Let it fly. You have a right to be angry. And it's okay to just explode over everybody. And then there's a middle ground. There's a, there's a middle ground that, that says, you know, the Bible says be angry and sin not. So that means it, it's okay, or at least at times, apparently it's okay, it's possible to, to do that. And in fact, uh, although when people say it, even those who are in this middle ground say, you know, it's, it's, it's at times it's, it would say, we, we need to be angry. I'm not saying that we don't need to be angry, but the way some people talk about it is like anger is a virtue. In the description of the fruit of the spirit anger is not there but in galatians 5 in that same passage anger is there as it deals with the works of the flesh and so this is a little tricky how you exactly do this to be good and angry or as some would use the phrase uh, a righteous anger is it possible to have a righteous anger and you think about that righteous anger because if you're angry and you don't sin that righteous is that possible especially in our day and age and everything that's going on. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this a biblical description of anger in the lives of two different people, Saul and Jonathan. And as we look at this biblical description to gain some insight from this and how we can be good and angry, how we can have a righteous anger, what is really involved in a righteous anger. In fact, it begins with... This. There are two things really to make a judgment on, on is this. And the first is we can have a righteous anger when it's for a righteous reason. This goes back to the first one of the first questions God asked. I mean, obviously, the first one was Adam, where are you? But it wasn't long after that. God gave a question to Adam and Eve's son Cain as it dealt with Abel. And he says to him in Genesis chapter 4, he says to Cain, What are you so angry about? I mean, that's a pretty blunt, basic question. That's what he's asking even yet today of us. What are you so angry about? We know in that case, it didn't go good. It was bad and it was ugly. It's the same question that Saul needs to answer. 
and what's going on with him as we read in this passage is what is he really so angry about? What is the reason? Is it a good reason? Not just good. Is it righteous? And it seems initially that Saul is angry at Jonathan. I mean, as you look at the passage uh, and look at verse 27. By the way, you want to keep your finger, your hand there in the Bible, wherever you're at, uh, because we'll look back and forward here. But in chapter 20, verse 27, but the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why has the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, and that what we read earlier is David asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. And, and obviously he gave him that permission. That's why he's not come to the king's table. And then in verse 30, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. So is, is he angry at Jonathan? Is that what he's really angry about? Is that, that, that the reason? And to some degree, Jonathan's not being completely honest what's going on here, but, you know, Jonathan's for a good reason. Saul can't possibly know that's what's going on. How could he possibly know that's what's going on? Why is he so angry when he doesn't know that's what's happening? And the reason he is so angry is because he was already angry. He's just always angry. He, 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 his paranoia is on all the time. He doesn't have the whole truth. Instead, he's just prejudging that situation like so many times we can do without knowing the whole truth. And what it comes down to this, especially when we recognize that Satan, the father of lies, is trying to move us into an ugly anger, is that we need to recognize that you can't have a righteous anger without the whole truth. So what's the reason that Saul's angry? It's not just about this. As we read in verse 30, he says Saul's anger, right? So... Uh, he flared up. You were uh, in verse 31. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you or your kingdom will be established. That's the reason Saul's saying he's angry. I'm angry because you, it's about you, Jonathan. I'm angry because it's not fair to you. I'm angry because you're not angry, that you're not upset, that you're not doing anything about this, that David's going to come and take away the kingship from our whole line. And it's just just not right. And you're not being treated right, Jonathan. It's, It's a terrible thing. And obviously it didn't bother Jonathan because in verse 15, he asked David, listen, I'll make a covenant with you. When the time comes, and that's what verse 15 really is about, is when the time comes and you become king, don't kill all my family. Show kindness to us. Because that's what happened in those days. Another king comes, they usually wiped out the whole family of the previous king. So David's already not trying to go with this, not going with following his father's footsteps, but following in the footsteps of what God wants, which is David to be the king. Jonathan knows that. But Saul is upset. And, and, and is that a right reason? Is, is this, is this right, a righteous reason when he just has a... Is, could it be that he just has a fatherly concern for his son being treated unfairly? He's not getting what he, he deserves. But is that the real reason that Saul is angry? We can see that it has more to do with the self-righteousness of Saul than the righteousness. That this is just an excuse. David, Jonathan, I'm upset at at David because of what he's going to do to you. That's baloney. That's a Greek word, by the way, Um, just in case you didn't get that in the original. You know, it's... it's not it. And, and you know what? We need to watch that we're not justifying our anger by pretending it's for some noble cause. We're like, like, well, it's for a good reason or, you know, I have a good reason and I have, a, you know. It's... Ultimately, when it's our flesh, our humanness that's upset, when it's really not about what's right, it's more about my rights, that's not righteous anger. It's not righteous anger from God's people who said that, they will follow, that we are following Jesus and to do that, we deny ourselves, we take up our cross and die. That we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And when we lash out at someone 
that never really deserved it. We blame something on someone. I mean, it comes down to even with Saul here, stop the excuses. Let's be angry at what we're angry about. And so many times we're not. We're, we not only let the anger be about something else, but we take it out on someone else even. So who is Saul angry with? If it's not Jonathan, then it must be David because that's what he's talking about here. It's not that David's not at the dinner table. I mean, verse 27, he noticed he wasn't there. This was an important dinner, was something that you should be with the king, and he's a part of the royal family. We sometimes forget that. David was married to Saul's daughter. So he wasn't there. That's just not, that's not a good thing. That's disrespectful. You can say all you want about that, but there is nothing in God's word that said David needed to be there. There is nothing unrighteous about what David was doing, but instead there was something very unrighteous about what Saul was doing. Saul, who, who didn't know David's heart and yet was angry about David. Not just about not, not being there, but just angry. Looking for a reason to explode. Instead of stopping and checking a motivation, sometimes whether it's out of love, whether we're believing the best, we can assume the worst, we can prejudge someone and just go ahead and just get angry. When you look at the rage that Saul expressed, it seems unlikely he was angry that David wasn't sitting at the table and eating with him. The reason goes to something much deeper. Something much deeper than that. An envy and jealousy, even to a fear. As I look at the time that we have, I'm just going to reference these. We're not going to have time to look them up like we were able to do in the first service. But First Samuel in chapter 18, I want to encourage you to read through chapter 18. And you'll see a number of times that it says Saul was afraid of David. Not because David was coming at him or trying to kill him or anything like that. But he was afraid. He just had this fear that David was trying to take over. David was trying to take over the kingship. That David had already taken over and, and uh, uh, his son Jonathan and his daughter had joined the David fan club. You know? It, it's just it gotten bad. Uh, and this it wasn't bad i mean you think you think through this a moment if you have some in-law problems just look at david you got nothing you know david's got some in-law problems when he becomes an outlaw literally in what goes on here uh, going for his life and david never gave him cause for that and it never was he, he always saul was not the enemy saul was god's anointed person for that time and he knew not to touch him there was no fact to base all this in, but it was nothing but fear. And here's the thing that we see in this, as we read about the fear that he continued to have, and that fear expressed itself in Saul through anger. And so many times we're trying to figure out what's the reason that we're angry about this. We got, oh, I can tell you what it is. But deep inside, oftentimes it's something else, including fear. And in this day and age that we're living now, we taught us an age of outrage, how much fear is there being put out and thrown around and, and put in every kind of angle and every kind of thing? Fear. Maybe we don't call it fear. I'm, I'm, I'm just really concerned or uh, I'm afraid. Well, those are all words, you know, uh, uh, of, of that. So if David's not the one to be mad at, then who is all really mad at? What's the reason they go? And again, uh, I encourage you to look at chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. And you'll read in chapter 15 where God is the one who takes the kingship from Saul. You've disobeyed, he takes it. In chapter 15, even in, in 16.1, uh, he says to Samuel, why are you so uh, upset over Saul and what's going on? How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? It wasn't David. David wasn't looking to be king. He didn't do it. It wasn't anything. God came to him. He even had to go get him out of the field. So if there's anyone to be angry about, it would be angry towards uh, for Saul. And all of this, it was God, so to speak, although that's hard. And many people are angry at God, but that's difficult because you can't, 
it doesn't get any traction. You, you like, it doesn't change anything to be angry at God. You, do, you don't even feel better. I mean, some people say, well, if I'm angry at somebody and I just express it and let them have it, then I feel better, which is not righteous. But you do that to God and you don't feel any better. It's difficult. Which is why it's easier for some people to just take it out on others instead of really recognizing that my problem is between me and God, not me and the other person. The reality is is who he's really angry with is himself. It was he who turned away from God and God took it from him. He threw away what God had given. How much of our expressed anger towards others is really that we're upset about ourselves. We're upset that... We ha- did not say something or do something beforehand. We're upset about how we handle something. We're upset about something that happened in ourselves, and we take it out on others. That's not a righteous anger. And, and let me just say, only because I know a lot of people, we're not going to get into it. It's not a part or, or the time to do that. But a lot of people talk about justifying Christians, justifying their anger because Jesus was angry. Look at Jesus cleansing the temple. He turned tables over. Right? Turn over to angels. Well, first of all, there's a whole lot of danger in comparing all of that with us. But here's the thing I would like you to do. Again, here's another one if you happen to write notes. But just think about this. Go and look at the two places it talks about. Look at those places it talks about Jesus cleansing the temple. And I want you to see if you can find the word anger. Where does it say Jesus was angry? What is the word or any word that's similar to that in that? We say, and we use that as our example of Jesus being angry, and yet that word, where is that word? What are we really relying on? And when Jesus went, he did it for a righteous reason, not to destroy, but to restore what God's glory had already willed and desired. The good in the anger, the good in the story of the anger is that Jonathan could have taken it all personally which we think would be kind of easy to, to do, getting ripped up one side and down the other, you know, spear hurled at you. Uh, but he didn't re- react, he responded. Jonathan's anger was over the wrong action, wrong attitude of his father with his murderous anger towards David. We read in verse 34 of our passage in chapter 20. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger, and on that second day of the month, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. His anger had to do with his father's shameful treatment of David. A right anger, a good anger, a righteous anger, the way God would feel about it. But you notice that it doesn't say that Jonathan got up and he was angry about everything. He was angry about the way his father treated him, the things he said about his mother, the things he said. All He, he wasn't angry. And for some reason, we think that we have got this uh, mantle on us to be the defenders of all truth as we see it. And reality is it's about God's truth, about being right and righteous anger that deals with what is clearly written in the word of God. The purpose is not to get something off of our chest, so much as to react to what God has said, to respond in anger to what God would want us to respond to. And it's difficult to be purely angry and what God is because there's a lot of ourself in all of this. Being righteous in our anger is different than being right. And for us to understand that, now, we can have a, not only a righteous anger, but we can have a righteous anger when it's not just in a righteous reason, but a righteous way. That's what makes it that way. I mean, you could have the most righteous reason and got a verse and everything, but if you don't carry it out in a righteous way, it is unrighteous. Saul lashes out at Jonathan in verse 30. He, he goes and trashes the mother. You know, she's not even there. She had nothing to do with it. But yeah, let's bring mom in on this, you know. Kind of like, you know, did you see what your child did? Wait a minute. Aren't we both in this? Uh, uh, You see, he just brings it in. Why does he do that? Because he's angry at the mom? No. It's like that, but it's not. He's just showing the way he is doing this anger is just attack anything and everybody, any way he can get Jonathan upset, any way he can get Jonathan enraged, any way he can get him to 
to turn over to the way, you know, to the dark side, so to speak, to where he's at. He just attacks in a way that's not good. Saul, you know, even if he's trying to come across in some justified anger uh, about being concerned for Jonathan's best. We talked about that just a few minutes ago. You know, I'm, he's just being a good father, thinking about Jonathan. Well, verse 33. But Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan to kill him. Then Jonathan knew his father intended to kill David. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that you can really justify your sticking up for your kid when you try to stick him into the wall with a spear. That's not righteous. Hey, you say all you want, but we see in the way you act what is real, what it really is and what's going on with that. Trying to, you know, in all of this, Saul's actions toward David, trying to justify him as a threat, again, over-the-top reactions, uh, he throw, tried throwing spears at David a number of different times. And I know some of you probably be thinking, well, you know, I understand this anger, and that's really, uh, anger is, that's some serious anger. I've never had rage like that, Pastor. In fact, I can honestly say I've never thrown a spear at anybody. That may be true. But Jesus says, in a sense, that we throw spears at people by our words when we're angry. And we call them a name when we disrespect those who have been made in God's image. The Bible tells us that in our anger we murder. And so we're really not any different in God's eyes, even though it might be in our eyes, to understand. Instead of acting the way He has called us to do, do not repay, Romans 12, 17, 18. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible as far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. You know, in our anger, we might have a righteous anger, but listen, it's only righteous if we follow what God has said. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written in his mind to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've got to watch our, our the hotheads that lose the cool. A- anger that is without self-control, is not of God because those who are of God have been given the Spirit of God and with the Spirit of God is the fruit of the Spirit and self-control. Let's not buy into the lie that somehow uh, we have no control over our anger. We do. Or else why would he say in James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You can't be slow to become angry if you don't have any control. We do. And I know that there are those who say, well, I never really get upset and angry and lashed out at people, but how do we do our anger? Is it we implode instead of explode? Do we walk out of a rush, out of a room in anger? Do we just give the silent treatment for days while we boil in anger about something that happened? Again, Ephesians chapter 4, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The person who practices anger in that way is not following the scriptures. And so therefore, that's not a righteous anger. That's not good and angry. But Jonathan exercises that self-control. We see it. He he didn't let it lead to a bad and ugly reaction, no matter what Saul tried to to do. Jonathan didn't react. Instead, it says that he waited until morning. You know, he left. Jonathan, in verse 34, he got up from the table in fierce anger. Please understand, it says Jonathan got up in fierce anger. That is the same word in the original that's used for what Saul did. When it says Saul was enraged and got ready and threw a spear, it's the same anger. It's what you do with that that was so different between Saul and David. Still fiercely angry, but instead, the second day he did not eat. And instead... He waited until that next day. You see, David, uh, Jonathan did not react, but he responded. Even by just taking a break, 
Some would say that, that he did not eat that second day of the feast was that he was fasting about all this to make sure he had the right response. But it was constructive, not destructive. And the constructive thing was he went and told David. How do you deal with this person who's angry and wants to kill David? A righteous way, a constructive way was for him to go and tell David and to warn David and to let David go. And not for him to go back and attack his dad, but instead to do something about it. And that's what we need to do. We need to have a a response that does something with this anger that is righteous that is what that is angered over what angers God but then responds in the way God would want us to respond the way he talks about in his word that's that the worship team would come as we just finish up here it, it comes down to love i know some people are like what you can't have anger and love together god is love that is his characteristic and what god has oftentimes is anger they both exist there and for us we need to recognize that even though some people would be like well i think whenever you talk about love you're just trying to manipulate us to not be angry it's about righteous anger if the second greatest commandment jesus says is to love your neighbor as yourself And in expressing your anger over what seems like a righteous reason, in expressing it, there is no love. Love is not evident. I don't mean you feel love in your heart, but love is evident in what is done. And it's a loving way of this being done. Because we can even discipline in love. If it's not in love, then it's not righteous. Because God calls us to. That is the law. That is what he has said to do that. So let us recognize that we can do this, but it's difficult. The angry man does not achieve the righteousness of God. We need him to be able to live for him our life. That means our anger. Building even that anger on the solemn foundation of Jesus Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, even in our anger, and ultimately making sure that it's all in accord with the Word of God. Father, lead us in this time that we would be able to make a decision that we would have a righteous anger. No longer just a a selfish or fleshly anger that often turns ugly and bad, but rather a good one. righteous reasons in righteous ways that we might be an example not only to our families but to everyone we meet help us for our life to be that way in your name we pray jesus